I'm Kevin Richard. The 2021 Idaho legislative session ended Wednesday night, well, sort of. The Senate voted to adjourn sine die, and that's the Latin term for without day, which means that the Senate does not plan to return anytime in calendar year 2021, but the House voted to recess, which means that they're reserving the right to try to return sometime later this year. Well, let's look back at what happened in the 2021 session. And to do that, I had the chance to sit down and talk to Governor Brad Little on Tuesday. We talk about education, we talk about taxes, and of course, we talk about the pandemic. Here's what he had to say. Well, Governor, thank you for making time to uh, talk to us this week. I wanted to get a sense, an overview of this uh, legislative session from an education perspective as things are winding down. How would you assess it overall? Well, the items, Kevin, that I lined out in my state of the state on, on literacy, on career ladder, uh, on workforce development, uh, all of those bills passed. Uh, there wasn't a lot of fervor about them, like there were some other things here, but we were pleased that those all passed. Let's talk about the career ladder a little bit, because it did pass. I mean, there was a derailment along the way that really had less to do with the, the budget than anything else. Getting those two years of funding for the career ladder was a big priority for you. What needs to be done next in terms of teacher retention and teacher recruiting? Well, well I assume you're going to ask me about some of the tax bills and in my discussions with uh, with legislators, whether it be leadership or the chairman of the of the committees, the one thing that I made abundantly clear is we had to have a structurally balanced budget to where in the out years we could continue our commitment to the career ladder. And you're confident with that because I know there are some concerns about the as, income tax bill. As confident as one can be, uh, I you know I proposed a tax relief both ongoing and one time. But with the, with the ARPA bill passing and with our continued incredible success in generating tax revenues, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. N never say never, never say always, but I'd say given what I see is a 80% plus likelihood we'll be in good shape. But the career ladder and the teacher salaries is just part of the equation in terms of teacher retention, teacher recruiting. What needs to be done next? Well, one of the other things we didn't talk about much this year, but we did last year, uh, is behavioral health. Uh, at the beginning of the session last year, I met with the educators, the professional educators when they were in town, and we were just having a conversation. I brought up behavioral health, and it was, it was incredible the reaction about how important classroom teachers thought behavioral health was to them being able to do their job and to the quality of their work environment. The issue for education this year has been the debate over social justice, indoctrination, critical race theory. You signed House Bill 377 with a lot of reservations. The email traffic about the bill seemed to be in opposition to the bill largely. What tipped the balance for you to sign that? Well, if you, I mean, even if you just read the title of the bill and, and read, uh, you know, read the bill, 
uh, it, it, most of the objections were to the debate around the bill and that there was some insinuation uh, that on a wide level uh, there was a lot of you know whatever you want to call it social justice uh, but then even the even the sponsors of the bill in their debate brought up that it wasn't a problem that doesn't mean that it might not be a problem and occasionally in this building uh, legislation is passed that's preemptive based on what's happening at the national level or in another state and I'm certain that's why the authors brought it. And what's your personal feeling about this? Is it a problem now? Is it a potential problem? Well, it might be a potential problem, but what I really objected to was just the insinuation that it was a systemic problem and just the whole conversation about these poor teachers that have just been under siege this last year <laughs> that they were spending their time instead of trying to get Susie and Johnny to read they were spending their time on these other issues and I know better so in your message to the legislature though you said that you were concerned about the tone of this whole debate this session and the message that it's sending oh you read my letter oh I, I read it and I heard it on the floor as it was being recited is this a problem right now? I mean, is this already having a problem? Well, we don't think so. And the state board is, has made a commitment, even even before the bill was passed, they were having conversations about, you know, if this exists, people are saying it exists, let's go out and ask and see if it is. Uh, I, I believe the, the state board, the department, and the superintendents and the teachers, but it, I, I am very, always have been concerned about confidence in government and particularly confidence in our our trustees and our local administration and if this bill uh, makes helps with confidence in either government as a whole or how we do public education then it's a good thing but is the debate that we've seen unfold over these past few weeks is it already affecting public confidence in uh, education it, uh, i don't believe it's i I guess it puts a it puts a little bit of a shadow, uh, depending upon who you are and what your angle is. Uh, those of us that spend time in the K twelve world uh, don't believe it's a problem, but I, as I said, I want people to have confidence. Uh, I, I didn't like the tenor of the debate, but there's a lot of bills we pass around here that the the tenor of the debate is different than the substance of the statute that becomes law. What do you expect to see come out of the Lieutenant Governor's Task Force on indoctrination? I mean, do you think it's necessary? Do you support its uh, mission and premise and well, existence? It, it, it's, uh, if, if it isn't prejudiced, that's probably not a good word, particularly what we're talking about, but, but if, if educators and parents are given uh, an opportunity. We, as I think Kirk Liebeck said in our press conference, we might learn something from it. Are you comfortable with it going forward? We'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, it's... One area where this whole debate really did have a tangible effect on budgets was higher ed. 
you signed that higher ed budget and came in a couple million dollars less than your original request. Do you think it was necessary for the legislature to send a budgetary message like that to the well, higher ed institutions? Of course, one of the arguments that you were very familiar with, we have around here all the time, is the appropriation process versus this, the standing and germane committee process. Uh, the debate was really about a standing committee uh, uh, concern, and the last thing we need to be doing in the budget process is talking about curriculum, whether it be in the K-12 or the higher education area. But the number, the, the cut seems to be sort of an arbitrary figure. It doesn't seem to be attached to anything particularly going on on the campus. Well, we do lots of arbitrary funny things around here, so that's, uh, uh, but you know, we, we did address uh, the LCSC issue, and you know, there hasn't been a lot uh, written about it, but for the second year, we've not had any increase in fees and tuition, and that's a good thing. One casualty from this session on the education front was the early education grant. Uh, were you surprised with what happened with that on the House floor? And yeah, a little, yeah. I mean, I. It was a proposal by the Trump administration, uh, endorsed by our Senate, U.S. Senate delegation, uh, and so I was a little surprised. What do you think is going to be the on-the-ground effect of that? Because that really goes to one of your priorities, reading readiness. Well, that's, I, I mean, yeah, literacy and early childhood learning is a you know, that's a place where the science is, is really, there's, there's no question about it, whether the child is at home, uh, at a public-funded uh, institution, or in a private-funded institution, uh, that there's things we need to do for these kids. Uh, so they're, and I always advocate to my friends that you know, your child or your grandchild might be perfect, totally prepared, but it's in everybody's benefit that they be in a classroom with other kids that have have a level of preparedness that doesn't drag down that your child's class for 12 years. And we know that if they're not reading proficiently by the end of, the, I don't have to tell you or probably your listeners uh, this, but. If, kids aren't reading proficiently by the end of the third grade, we've got all kinds of problems, both in K-12 and in society. How big a long-term setback do you think this is in terms of the, the bigger debate about early education? Well, we were making progress. I mean, the, the we started off with uh, just a few million dollars in in literacy, and and now we're, we've got a much bigger number, and then you add on uh, the recommendation that we put together for this summer, that, I mean, the trajectory of the money that we're putting in to early childhood learning and uh, literacy is, you know, almost logarithmic compared to what it used to be, the, the, the magnitude of it. And I've talked to a lot of teachers, and, uh, you know, they think that with the program we got prepared for this summer, with other things we're going to do, that these kids are going to get caught up. The question is just like the other issue, we got to get all of them caught up so that the general momentum of those classes 
goes forward. How do you see that summer reading program taking shape? We're only a few weeks out. Well, and it's going to be different because, you know, there were some school districts that last a year ago right now had one-to-one devices. Both the teachers, the students, and the parents had a high comfort level with the online learning. And then we had other schools we didn't have that. We've got some schools that were not in person too much of a percent of the time this fall and winter, and they're different than the ones that, uh, you know, a school district, uh, Greg and I went to Nampa, and that school district there, uh, a great school there, they were all one-to-one, and, and the parents and the teachers were comfortable with it. Other districts, we weren't near that fortunate. Seemed like there was a recognition from the legislature not only to fund summer reading, but to take it a step further and to make it into more of a holistic approach to learning loss. I mean, I, you're, you're comfortable with that, I'm sure. And, oh, understanding that And there's many things, Kevin, this pandemic, uh, whether it be healthcare, business, uh, commerce, but particularly education, that we have stress tested technology in the home and broadband introduction, and uh, we're that's that's something we're going to benefit from into perpetuity because it's the it's the way of the future. These kids that are behind, uh, <laughs> I was with my on Mother's Day, and my daughter-in-laws, and they were talking about uh, some event coming up, and a lot of the parents were going to take their kids out of school because they're real comfortable with the remote learning opportunity, their kids aren't going to be behind. That wasn't the case even a year, a year and a half ago. And I definitely do want to talk more about what you've seen over this past year um, in the schools. But one last legislative issue, and I feel remiss if I didn't bring it up, the events we saw in Rigby on Thursday brings back into light that whole issue of school safety and guns in schools. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. It goes back to what I said about behavioral health. Uh, That district, that particular teacher is going to serve as a role model uh, all over the state to address behavioral health. Uh, That how do we recognize these kids early and if one of them uh, falls through the cracks or something happens you know, very, very rapidly, like could have been the, uh, the case with this student, uh, how do we address that? And uh, it makes our efforts in behavioral health last year look like we need to double up and triple up on that. You know, simultaneous with that, a lot of people have asked me what I'd have been doing the last year if I wasn't <laughs> spending all the time on the, on the COVID-19 issue. Behavioral health and literacy would have been two of them. What do we need to do? And this is the entire range of behavioral health from uh, pre-K and before all the way to our incarceration system. We're the only state where we've taken the legislative branch, the judicial branch, and the executive branch and tried to look at what behavioral health holistically. And I know that, that in the classroom and with these children, that's where I can put a little money and save the state 
whether it be Medicaid or corrections or whatever social service, a lot of money later, and uh, that's our intent. This also becomes a guns in schools debate. You've got Second Amendment advocates, including some legislators who want, you know, who don't want to see Second Amendment rights abridged at the schoolhouse steps. You've got some parents who just don't want to see any more guns in schools, period, no matter who's, who's carrying them. And you've got the school boards and the administrators still want to maintain the local control. I mean, how do you thread the needle well, on that? I almost always default uh, to try and give the resources necessary to the school district and, and let locally elected trustees hire good superintendents who hire good principals, who hire good teachers, and they look at the entire ecosystem around those kids and, you know, obviously in big schools they've got, they've got uh, uh, public safety trained personnel in there. It's not near as scalable to small districts so again you have to give them the opportunity to address that and the culture is different in in some of these real rural districts as it is in an urban district so across the state the school year is winding down i mean the, the k-12 system almost all schools are open have stayed open in, in some degree higher ed stayed open with some higher ed learning are you surprised at how it all went? I'm, I'm probably, you could characterize me as being pleasantly surprised. A year ago right now, I was losing sleep over it. Uh, it, it, it was still a, a, a tragedy um, for public education, but uh, never doubt the creativity of local educators, parents, trustees to do the right thing. Uh, I, I, I was literally uh, out at, the, at my wife's family's ranch shearing sheep and two of the uh, helpers there were school teachers uh, from here in the valley and I spent a lot of time uh, uh, prodding sheep into the shearing shed with these two teachers and they were, they said, we got this, uh, we're gonna, these kids are going to get caught up gave me great confidence uh, in, in what's taken place. We got to continue to offer them the resources. There's a lot of resources available through the new ARPA funding. And uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, as Greg and I talk, my education policy advisor, I don't want an asterisk next to these kids' names that they were COVID victims in their education that we need to do all we can to eliminate the stresses that they've had the last year. How do you want to see the schools spend that ARPA money? I mean, it's 400 plus million that's going out. How do you want to see that spent? Where do you think the priority well, would be? Well, it's one-time money. Right. So as I have asked, and the legislature has been very receptive to this, uh, we need to invest this money wisely. We need to make differences uh, investments today, whether it be workforce development, whether it be uh, technology, whether it be uh, whatever it might be, to where we'll increase the cost effectiveness of the delivery of education and really make some of those investments that we would have liked to make before and, and really move the needle on academic 
advancement. Really focus on learning loss at this point as opposed to you know, well, PPE well, yeah, or... But, but uh, yeah, they got plenty of PPE, I think. Uh, hopefully they won't. Uh, that was one of the nice things about uh, my move to have teachers be in the third group to be vaccinated. First were healthcare workers, well, I guess the fourth, healthcare workers, long-term care residents, public safety, and then teachers. But uh, the teachers have been very, uh, most of them that I run into have been very, very thankful. I went to a clinic in Kootenai County and it was all teachers in there getting their first dose and they couldn't have been more delighted to where, and that was when Kootenai County had really, really high numbers and that, that confidence and security it gave them uh, really helped. How do you see that playing itself out heading into the next school year? Uh, you have vaccination numbers are slowing down across the state, and we're hitting maybe a point where vaccine hesitancy is going to be uh, a factor in terms of you know, getting closer to herd immunity, getting closer to herd immunity in the schools. But on the other hand, the Pfizer vaccine is now available for teenagers. How do you see that all playing out next? Well, week? we had a I had a call. That, this morning with the White House, with the National Governors Association, and there, there is some, we think, enough funding, but we need to target our, our vaccine uh, education and promotion uh, to get to the hesitancy in some of these communities. And with a little prodding, uh, the new administration has now uh, kind of agreed that it's hard for them in Washington, D.C. to tell me in Downey and Dietrich what I need to do uh, to get over vaccine hesitancy and that maybe we might know in Idaho better than they do in Washington, D.C. I know it's hard to imagine that they would ever say that. But, uh... What's your biggest reservation about next school year? Just that some of these kids won't be caught up, uh, that, that the educators and the parents and the trustees uh, know that I've got their back, that um, we're going to continue uh, with the career ladder, we're going to continue on behavioral health, we're going to continue on literacy. Uh, we want to uh, inspire uh, these bright high school seniors to go into our education colleges to have careers in education whether that be everything from the solvency of our retirement fund to what we do to help the districts in their health care costs to what we do for starting teacher pay and the senior teachers. Uh, that's all part of it, but with the goal there that we want to increase academic uh, performance. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of interest in these kids <clears throat> taking a career technical uh, path rather than a traditional bachelor's program. Uh, the Workforce Development Council is doing a lot in that area, but I tell businesses all over the state <clears throat> that you got to go talk to your, to the career counselors and the school board and whatever jobs you need in your community, uh, you need to be part of that part of the career technical uh, uh, pathway for those students. So bottom line next year, it's an emphasis more on academic performance, making up academic loss, and yeah. less of an emphasis on 
the pandemic is a health oh, crisis. I, I pray for that every day. I, I was somewhere, oh, I was on the AARP call last week. And, Your farewell AARP call. Yeah, yeah and I, I stated that uh, kids will be back in school, people will be able to go to social events, graduations, whatever it is, and hopefully I can quit talking about COVID-19. Fair enough. I don't think there'd be any disagreement about that. <laughs> Governor, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, I appreciate Kevin. it. I appreciate it. Again, that was Governor Brad Little. The Idaho legislative session wrapped up Wednesday night on day 122 of the record-setting session. If you're trying to get a, a handle of what happened and what didn't happen, I have a full analysis of this session of stalemate over at idahoednews.org. I published that story on Thursday. Also on Thursday, Blake Jones had a story explaining the status of that early education grant that was kind of left in limbo when lawmakers left town. That's going to wrap it up for the podcast this week. Uh, do check in at idahoednews.org daily. We'll have uh, the latest education news from across the state. Follow us on Twitter at idahoednews for breaking items and bulletins. Follow us on Facebook and join the conversation there. And check back next Friday for another edition of the podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week.